start today with a question. In what does your soul delight? What gives you soul satisfaction? Because the soul was made to be satisfied. It's a great book on the nature of human beings, according to Old Testament thinkers by a writer, Hans Walter Wolf. And he says the Hebrew word for soul, nefesh, refers to human beings in their neediness. The soul by its nature is a needy thing. What does your soul need? What brings you joy to the core of your being? Today we're going to reflect on that together. As we think about soul, we are the fellowship of the withered hand. We can't. We are needy little creatures. But God can. And we're walking together through Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart. We come now to the chapter on the soul, chapter 11. And this is just so incredibly rich and so unbelievably needed in our day that we're going to camp out here for a while as we talk about the transformation of the soul. Now, it starts with these statements of the scripture, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. What does it mean to keep your soul? Or Jesus' statement from Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, we're going to bring back a drawing here that will remind us of the parts of the person that we have been walking through in uh, Dallas's little scheme, where at the core of you is your will, your ability to say yes or no, to choose. That gives you agency. It's also generally what's referred to with the word heart or the word spirit. It's a form of energy. And then beyond that is the realm of your mind. You have thoughts and you have feelings and that stream is constantly running through you and the pattern of our thoughts and our feelings really make up our character. And then beyond that is my body. My body is my little power pack. It's where my kingdom starts. It is... Um, made up of uh, a lot of appetites. It's where I outsource my character to my habits. And then beyond that, the next circle out is the social dimension of who I am, my relationships, my identity. I am the child of John and Kathy. I'm the husband of Nancy. I'm the friend of, a pastor for, father of. And then, and then Dallas would say, beyond that is the soul. And here's how he starts. This is page 199, talking about the soul. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, although we often think that that's what's in control. Not your thoughts, not your intentions, or even your feelings, but your soul. You have a soul and it is running your life. The soul, Dallas writes, is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self, in your will, in your thoughts, in your feelings, in the habits and appetites of your body, in your relationships. 
It is the life center of the human being. It regulates whatever is occurring in each of those dimensions and how they interact with each other and respond to surrounding events in the overall governance of your life. The soul is deep, Dallas writes, in two ways, in the sense of being basic or foundational and in the sense that it lies almost totally beyond conscious awareness. And this is why in the Bible and other forms of ancient literature, people will address their soul as if it was another person. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? We don't do that to other parts of the body. You won't find people addressing their heart or their mind or their spirit, but they do their soul. Now, it took me about 10 years when I first heard Dallas talking about the soul to understand what he mean by it. And that's ironic because I love to think about personhood and I had a degree in theology and a degree in clinical psychology. But uh, Dallas would talk about the soul as like the program that runs a computer. And that was quite confusing to me. There's a, uh, another thinker, Jeffrey Boyd, is a psychiatrist, also an Episcopal clergyman. And uh, he's one of the people that helped to write the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, interestingly enough. But he says the great quest of his life, life like uh, Captain Ahab after Moby Dick, was the reintroduction of the word soul into our thoughts about personhood. He said there's a great problem that in our day we assume secular psychotherapists are the experts in human nature. And yet um, they do not think often about our relationship with God. And you cannot understand a person apart from the divine human nature. And soul is part of what refers to that. Jeffrey Boyd has actually done research around this. And he says in most churches, uh, people ascribe to what he calls the Looney Tunes version of the soul. If you ever see one of those old cartoons, there'll be times when like Daffy Duck dies. And so his body's laying there. And then this thin watery version of Daffy Duck rises up towards heaven and people have this general idea. He says about 50% of people in churches that that's what the soul is, this thin watery part of you that lives on after you die. But of course, that's not a biblical notion. According to scripture, we will be resurrected. Your mind will go on, your thoughts, your feelings, your ability to choose, even your body will be resurrected. So when Dallas would talk about the soul as being kind of like a program that runs the computer, it's just real hard for me to understand. We were talking about that one time, and our dog had just died. And I asked Dallas, do dogs have souls? And he said, yes. And then tongue-in-cheek, because I'm not a cat person, I said, do cats have souls? And he said, yes. And then he said, trees have souls. And I knew enough about Dallas to know he was not a pantheist, and he did not think that trees were conscious beings that would have afterlives. And um, so I asked him more about this. And he said, in the ancient world, so you have to kind of get rid of what you've been thinking about soul. In the ancient world, thinkers, not just in the Bible, in ancient Greece, would look at, say, a tree. And they would see that it had a bunch of different functions. It had roots. It could take in nourishment. It could reproduce. It could photosynthesize. It could grow fruit. It had a lot of different functions. And yet it was a single life, a single organism. And so they called this capacity to integrate different functions into one life. They called that soul. And uh, sure enough, if you look not just at those ancient thinkers, but Christian thinkers like Augustine, 
or Aquinas, they will actually write about the vegetative soul, the animal soul, and then the rational or human soul. And the idea is, of course, not that they were pantheistic about those sorts of things, but they saw that all of life has this capacity to integrate different functions into a single being. And you have that, and that is your soul. You have a soul. Jeffrey Boyd writes about how the word self is not an adequate replacement for the word soul because it does not call to mind the existence of the person before God. And that's why there's a lot of difference between talking about someone who is selfish versus someone who is soul-ish. That's why we sing songs that say things like, um, Be still my soul, or then sings my soul, my Savior God to you. So we're going to be journeying together for the next uh, little bit of time to discover and learn about the well-being of our souls. What I want to leave you with today is this thought that Dallas talks about. This is on page 200, that the person with a well-ordered soul who is described in Psalm 1 is somebody who finds the delight of their soul in the beauty of the order and goodness and love of God. In Psalm 1, Dallas writes, uh, the person who is flourishing delights in the law that God has given. They love it, are thrilled by it, can't keep their mind off it. They think it is beautiful, strong, wise, and incredible gift of God's mercy and grace they therefore dwell upon it day and night, turning it over and over in their minds, speaking it to themselves. They don't do this to please God, but because the law pleases them. It is where their whole being is oriented, and the result is a flourishing life, like a tree planted by the water. Now, the idea of law here is not a list of rules here, stuff that I've got to do. It is what is good. So find a statement that expresses the goodness of God's will. I love that line from J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings. There is good in the world and it's worth fighting for. And I can root my mind in that sentence sometimes. What would that be for you? Maybe it's God is love. Maybe it's speak the truth in love. Maybe it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Allow your mind to dwell, to delight primarily today. Not in how good looking am I? Or how much money have I got saved up? Or how much more successful can I be than other people? Or we will try to find delight for our souls. And if we put it in the wrong place, that becomes an idol and enslaves us. You have a soul. It is the deepest part of you and it is precious to God and it was made for delight. Let your soul today delight in God and God's love for you and the way that God wills the good. Keep your soul with all diligence.